like I was focusing on something. I was watching dough and I was moving it as I was moving through those thoughts. And so I feel like with any artist, we can use our medium to transmute the energy that we feel and we have to keep showing up at the table. This is Still Here, a podcast from WFAE that asks what does resiliency look and feel like to you? And how have you felt and been impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic? Found myself wanting to show people, like, look at what this does. Like, I wish that you could see. Like, you don't believe that this virus really kills people? Please look at, look at how she looked. What helped you overcome challenges you faced? And what did you do to cope? My orders went from being like, 10 special orders from customers in a weekend to 100. And I was not ready for that. And it was a big boom. And then I think all of us kind of crashed after a couple months of that. I'm Sarah D'Elia. In today's story, we hear from a Charlotte Baker about mixing moments of grief and loss with the sweet ones during the pandemic. 33-year-old Casey Smogus sits outside of the Common Market on Monroe Road in Charlotte. She has about an hour before she starts her shift inside, where she bakes and dreams up new creations for her company, Move That Dough. I think since I was raised by a grandma who lived through the Great Depression, like it's very classic American-style baking. Cake donuts and yeast donuts and cinnamon rolls and cookies and stuff that is comfort food to me. Comfort food with a twist. All of her creations are vegan, and over half of the menu is gluten-free. Casey bounced from different households growing up in Nebraska. Her grandma's was where she felt the most safe and loved. And a big part of that was learning to bake alongside her. Casey points to a tattoo on her arm of a mason jar surrounded by flowers. Since I have an ADHD brain, I experienced a lot of adults who would avoid me or like talk to me like I was an idiot or something. And my grandma holding that space for me was huge. My grandma kept like her sewing notions and all of her things in these mason jars in the basement. And I'd like go downstairs and just spin them and look at them, you know. I got that for her. She was a gardener, so that's why there are flowers all around it. She sells her baked goods through pop-up shops and in local eateries around Charlotte. Her home base is this kitchen in Common Market, but she doesn't have a storefront. And that helped when the pandemic hit. Business-wise, things were going pretty good in the early days of the shutdown. There was a surge of support for local businesses. Casey worked by herself at night in the kitchen, so she didn't have to worry about social distancing with a coworker. Her partner would care for their three-year-old, and when Casey got home, he would head to work and she would take care of their daughter. A big challenge came when she had to deal with opinionated customers. And I had never before faced certain customers who were very anti mask, trying to put pressure on small businesses to stand up to the government and, you know, like this kind of narrative. And then there were the customers who still wanted to place orders, but wanted absolutely no contact. And so I felt very kind of like I was being demanded upon by both ends of a spectrum of people who wouldn't meet in the middle at all. But she kept pushing forward, and baking continued to be the same outlet it had been for her when she was a little girl. She used baking to work through tough times before. She remembers going through a period of depression after she gave birth. She felt isolated and alone. Similar feelings bubbled back to the surface during the pandemic. When you combine art with business, I can't go through a season of being like, I'm not inspired. I can feel uninspired, but I still have to show up. And the pandemic was no exception. And it's become therapeutic in that way where it can be my hardest teacher, but also like my greatest lessons learned have been through this business. There was another lesson Casey would learn during the pandemic, this one about family. 
Casey experienced emotional and physical abuse from both her mother and father growing up. She says in part that abuse was tied to her very religious upbringing. I would say it's cult level, fundamentalist Christianity, where I wasn't allowed to do anything outside of that circle. Mm -hmm. And it was the kind that reinforced, like, I was the chaplain of my senior class and I wasn't allowed to pray at graduation because I was a female. On top of that, her mother suffered from bipolar disorder, and Casey says she also struggled with prescription drug abuse. Casey helped take care of her mother when she got sick. There was a song she would always sing to her by the Christian artist Phil Wickham, I Will Wait For You There. I will wait for you there Down on my knees where I met you Give you all of my care There were several times in her life where she got very sick and I was the youngest, so I was with her through those years the most. So I'd be holding her on the bathroom floor, like calling an ambulance and singing her that song or in the hospital with her singing that song. During the pandemic, Casey and her mother were not on speaking terms, but she would hear from her brother on how her mother was doing. In April, he contacted her again. Their mother had COVID-19 and was in the hospital. Casey tried to reach out. She texted her the lyrics to that song, I Will Wait For You There, the one her mother loved, but no reply. Then, later that day, as Casey was getting ready to set up and serve customers, she got a call from her brother. Nurses were setting up a FaceTime call for the family. Their mother was dying. We basically just had to watch our mom die on FaceTime, and it was disturbing for me on a lot of levels. So to know that she was scared alone and to know that she ultimately died alone, which was all she felt her whole life, like she forced herself into solitude and loneliness, and that was her final experience. And that is heartbreaking because I only ever wished that I could have convinced her that she was as loved and talented as she was. As they watched their mother die, the only thing they could do miles apart was play a recording of her favorite song, the same song Casey had sung to her mom so many times before. I think I was in denial when it was happening because she had been so sick my whole life that I just thought this was going to be another one of those times where she almost died and didn't. And so I thought I was going to have time to repair with her. And all of us went, my sister, brother, and I went through a stage where like, I think our biggest grief, it wasn't the shock that she was dead. We had to release romanticizing that one day we would have a good relationship with her. And then the FaceTime ended, and Casey had to turn around and serve customers. She had help in the kitchen that day, and everyone surrounded her, trying to support her through what just happened. If a wave of grief hit her, she would go to the bathroom and take a moment. But the grind didn't stop. Then that night I had to come in and bake, and the next morning I had to serve customers. And so it took a couple days till I could actually sit with myself and process the shock because it happened very quickly. Part of processing her grief was realizing she wanted to help others avoid the position she was in when her mother died. In a way, she was already on that path. In the year before her mother's death, Casey got certified to become an end-of-life doula, someone who advocates on behalf of the dying person, helps them navigate the funeral industry, and cares for them in whatever way makes sense. She also sees that role as helping repair relationships before that person passes away. If we know someone is about to die, is there not like a mediator or a grief counselor who can come in and try to facilitate families talking to each other so that that person can, for one final time, hear that either they were loved or hear this caused me pain, but I forgive you and I've wanted to forgive you. 
Casey plans to go back to school to become a grief counselor. She wants to work with people and families at the end of life. In her words, she realizes that her actual heartbeat is not in the sugar and the flour she sifts. It's in the work she feels called to do with end-of-life care. She wants to help others avoid the trauma and regret that came with her mother's passing. Much like how she found her way to baking in her grandma's house as a little girl, she wants this new path to have love and understanding as key ingredients. I'm Sarah D'Elia. This is Still Here. If you have a story idea for Still Here, email me at estelia at wfae.org. Find me on Twitter at Sarah WFAE, and that's Sarah with an H. Still Here is produced and reported by me and edited by Greg Collard. Our theme music was composed and produced by Patrick Bowden and Patrick Lee. Together, they make Patrick Otto. Our really beautiful logo was made by Matthew Scott. Learn more about the series at wfae.org slash stillhere. Subscribe anywhere you find podcasts. Still Here is powered by Ortho Carolina. Thanks for listening.